setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Welcome back to Burning Issues, where we burn away the cannabis myths with science. As many of you know, I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine, professor of psychology at the University of Albany, author of the Oxford University Press book, Understanding Marijuana, and I pen the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Today, we'll chat about the cannabis legal world with normal founder Keith Strupp. We'll also have a new segment of self-compassion in the art of activism. I'm genuinely moved to have normal founder Keith Strupp Esquire on the show today. Keith's the attorney who founded Normal back in 1970. I realized that's before some of our Burning Issues listeners were even born. It was a very different world then, and Keith has pounded away at the prohibitionists for over four decades. Anybody can fire off a letter to a representative once in a while or grouse about his marijuana laws in a public forum, but Keith has made reform his whole life. He's been on every media outlet and met every cannabis celebrity, but I want to emphasize that he's made huge sacrifices for the movement. He got his law degree from Georgetown back in 68 and could have easily become a millionaire by now finding tax loopholes for big businesses. Instead, he came to the aid of every adult who wanted to use cannabis responsibly. Every time I get an angry email or a snotty letter, I just remember that Keith's been fighting this battle since I was in kindergarten. Thanks so much for a lifetime of work, and welcome to the show, Keith. A very kind Thomas, and I must say, you certainly made me feel old, Mitch, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I wanted to jump in with this legal initiative in Ohio and get your take on the situation. Could you say a few words? Sure. You know, um, Mitch and I, for the listener's sake, both serve on the National Normal Board of Directors, and so... We recognized there were problems with issue three in Ohio, and we nonetheless endorsed it because it did include the key elements we want to see in every state. That is, that it stopped arresting marijuana smokers, stopped treating them like criminals, to be perfectly legal to smoke, and to grow your own marijuana at home. And it established a legal market where consumers could buy their marijuana in a safe and secure setting. So. It wasn't perfect by a long shot because it allowed the original investors who had put up the money to collect the signatures and run the campaign. Unfortunately, it allowed them to set up what was an oligopoly, oligopoly of the commercial cultivation centers. There would have been 10 of them. And as a result, it ended up picking up the opposition from a lot of people who otherwise would have supported legalization. We weren't winning by a big margin by anyone's measure in Ohio, but there were a number of polls showing that we had a very slim majority, 51%, 52%. But when those same voters focused on the aspects, the specific aspects of issue three, they rejected it soundly. We, we lost that 55% to 35%. So, I was surprised. I thought it would be far closer. But I think, you know, what we have to do from those uh, instances is try to learn something from them. And one of the things I hope that we have demonstrated 
that if there are any other rich entrepreneurs who are viewing the marijuana legalization issue as somewhere they can come in and get rich off of the initiative process, I hope they will be discouraged. Because quite frankly, we can win legalization in the majority of states today. We've got 58% support in the entire country. But it appears we cannot win them if, in fact, they include provisions that enrich the very people who are advancing the initiative. It's perceived as a conflict of interest. I feel like there was one other little quirk in all of this, and that was the use of this character, Buddy. Would you care to comment on Buddy? Yes, I certainly would be happy to. I, when that first came out, I called up Ian James, the man who was the organizer who was running that issue, and read him the riot act, to be honest. But I, I couldn't imagine that any adult in America wouldn't recognize that the one thing you don't want to do is mimic Joe Camel. I mean, for those of us who are old enough, there was a period when Joe Camel was all over television, radio, and billboards. And then, uh, after some congressional investigations, they pointed out there were internal memoranda and made it quite clear the companies were using Joe Camel to try to entice young underage smokers to pick up their tobacco habit, become addicted, and, you know, smoke marijuana for the rest of their life. Eventually, they were shamed publicly and they retired the campaign and Joe Camel exists no more. But unfortunately, the folks at Responsible Ohio did not to see the analogy with their Buddy campaign, but I think a lot of voters did. They got a lot of press out of Buddy, no doubt about it, but it was terrible press. It was press that made, made the suggestion that they were trying to appeal to adolescents, and obviously that could never be the goal of any legalization effort. I appreciate you laying it out. Buddy was this crazy character just walking around like a giant joint, and I, I think the parallel to Joe Camel is a great one and just not the kind of message we want to send as far as underage use. Keith details all this stuff at Marijuana.com, so if you want to check out his column there, I think you'll get a big kick out of it. I also want to emphasize that Normal does a lot of work behind the scenes for folks in legal trouble. Would you mind telling us about some of that without breaking any confidentiality? Yeah, I will tell you, just for example, this very morning, I, I have been traveling for a few days on business. So when I got back and I was getting caught up on the email, sure enough, there were two or three different emails, but one I will focus on from Florida of a young man who has several uh, epileptic seizures every day, and he was relying on marijuana that he was getting on the black market to control those seizures. Now, in theory... Florida has adopted a very limited version of medical marijuana, where it's CBD only. But the program they set up isn't even close to providing actual medicine to patients. So no one has been helped by that. So we was obviously self-medicating. Well, the police came in and busted him. Frankly, I think he had less than an ounce. And apparently they busted him with ashes. He already smoked the marijuana, so these were marijuana ashes. But now he's having to fight for his freedom, and he's having numerous seizures every day in the process because he doesn't have his medication. So that's the case. I I called our mutual friend, Norm Kemp, from Fort Lauderdale, and it's a case that I suspect Normal's going to end up providing legal counsel and see if we can't get the prosecutors to focus on the fact that what they're doing is unfairly penalizing a seriously ill individual for something which within a few months will be perfectly legal. 
But it is amazing that in, here we are in, in 2015, and we still have more than 600,000 marijuana arrests a year in this country, and roughly 89 or 90% are for simple possession and use of marijuana. They're just responsible marijuana smokers like many of us. You know, it's such a tragedy, and I feel so proud that normal's really been there for folks like this. But, of course, it always costs money. I'm worried that people think that folks just think Woody Harrelson or Willie Nelson are constantly throwing millions of dollars to normal, and that's not the case. How has this been strange for fundraising? Well, uh, it is true uh, that I think the average American um, who's interested in the marijuana issue certainly knows normal's name because we've been around for so long. And they know that we're associated with Willie Nelson and Woody Harrelson and Hugh Hefner and others. And so they presume that we're rich or that we have a large budget. But we've actually never had a billionaire benefactor as, say, BPA and MPP. And again, uh, those are both good groups and they do good work. But frankly, if you've got a billionaire behind you who's willing to give you several million dollars a year, it's fairly easy to, to mount a campaign and to focus on legalizing marijuana and helping the victims of the current laws. We simply have never been very good at fundraising, I think, Mitch, is the truth. But not to say we haven't had our kind supporters, and we still do today. Some of them are quite generous. But we get by on a relative shoestring. And, for example, right now, there's two lawyers in the normal office, but one of them focuses primarily on legislation, Danielle, and then I handle most of the other legal assistance. And we do have a legal committee comprised of about 550, 600 lawyers, criminal defense lawyers around the country. But those are private attorneys. Sometimes if the case is really appealing, of course, we can find a colleague who will step in and, and represent one of these victims pro bono. But frankly, what we really need is a larger staff. I wish I had a couple more lawyers on the staff. There are no shortage of victims. I have the benefits of legal interns. Right now we have one, sometimes we have two, but I, I, it would be fabulous to have a couple more lawyers on staff who did nothing but get up every day and say, how can I help these victims of marijuana prohibition? So if somebody feels generous, send us a contribution and earmark it for supporting our legal program. We would be delighted. Absolutely. Hey, as my cannabis radio brother Vivian McPeak would say, we got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. But we'll be right back after these important messages. Stay tuned to Burning Issues. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. 
Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh, my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, and we're back with Normal founder Keith Strupp. I just want to let everyone know that the normal.org website has a donate link right in big red letters at the very top of the page. We were talking about fundraising, and of course, we could really use the help. One of our great behind-the-scenes arrangements has been with High Times Magazine for literally decades. Could you give us a lowdown on that, Keith? Well, it goes all the way back before the, the founding of High Times Magazine. In fact, strangely enough, I met Tom Prasad, who is the individual who founded High Times in 1974. I met him in 1972 at the Democratic National Convention in Miami. And for our listeners who are younger, uh, that was the convention in which the Democrats nominated George McGovern. And we were all delighted because we were behind his progressive and liberal policies. But unfortunately, he only carried one state that year and lost 49. So it wasn't such a good year politically. But uh, nonetheless, there were lots of good things came out of that convention, and one of them was I met Tom Prasad. He was a yippie at the time, and he was a smuggler. He, he flew a plane and smuggled marijuana into the country. And he was uh, spending his days up in on uh, high up, maybe 20 feet up, in what was called the People's Pot Tree in, uh, I think they called it Freedom Park at, the, at that year. What it is, it's an area... They had designated for all of the activists so that we would be out of the, out of their hair. And it happened to be that in one corner of that part, if you wanted to score some weed, you walked over to the tree and they would lower down a, a rope with a clip on it. You'd give them $20 and then they would lower down a, an ounce of marijuana. I think it was back then. Marijuana was a little bit cheaper. At any event, it turns out the man who was doing that was none other than Tom Prasad. And I got to know him, and a few years later, he founded High Times Magazine. He, from the very first day, made Normal his favorite benefactor, along with one other group that used to be called the Underground Press Service. It was sort of an AP or UPI for alternative newspapers. Tom was really a, a far-sighted individual. Now, unfortunately, he had his dark side, and I think it was 1977, and during some deep depression, unfortunately, he committed suicide. So... He hasn't been with us, but even then, the folks who followed up and Prasad's family and others, Michael Kennedy, who've been running High Times ever since, have maintained that special relationship with Normal. 
They make a contribution contribution to the organization every month. They give us free ads in the magazine every month. We write a column every month. We we get to designate activists of the month. Our relationship with High Times has always been terribly important to the organization and to the legalization movement. Yes, we got a lot of thanks to give to Old High Times. I know a lot of our listeners have dreamed of working for normal, and I was curious if you could recommend what they ought to do to prepare. Well, uh, you know, I think if one really wanted to develop the skills that are most important, then I would focus on developing lobby skills, for example, which means, you know, you can work at the city council level, you can work at the state legislative level, but get accustomed to the practice of, getting to know not just the legislator, but his key legislative aides and meeting with them and making an effective argument so that they realize we're not just talking about getting high, we're talking about personal freedom, because that's a skill that is always in short supply. I also think for those who have the option of going to grad school, um, I frankly think having a law degree is a terrific attribute. There's a lot of credibility that comes with that, and also... I think the skill set one learns can very easily be focused into public interest law instead of private law. That is, you use your law degree to try to impact public policy rather than to get rich or to help your clients get rich. I've always been enormously grateful to Ralph Nader, who I had the pleasure of working with during my first couple of years out of law school, and he introduced me to the concept of public interest law. But, of course, my interest was in legalizing marijuana rather than private safety, so we went in some different directions. But the skills are all the same. So I would encourage people, if you have a chance to get a law degree, absolutely do it. But don't necessarily sell your soul to the highest bidder. Figure out how you want to make the world a better place and use your skills to do that. Ah, making the world a better place. That sounds super. Listen, I know there's no real typical day for you at Normal, but I was curious if you could kind of give folks a feel for all the different things you do. Well, uh, for example, just in the last two or three months, I've been at the Seattle Hemp Fest where Normal had a booth and I spoke. I've been to the Boston Freedom Rally. I was last week at an event in Phoenix, Arizona. This week, I was in uh, Los Angeles. Next week, I will be in Jamaica for the High Times Jamaica Rasta Cannabis Talk. Uh, there's a, a lot of our work is focused on making appearances where we can speak for and advance the concept that there's nothing wrong with smoking marijuana. In other words, we're, we're not just trying to make the same argument over and over. Part of it is people have to come out of the closet. We still have to overcome a certain negative stereotype that many older Americans have. And the best way to do that is to put on a coat and tie and go make a good presentation and let them speak for themselves that you can smoke marijuana, but in all other aspects, you're just an average middle-class American. That's a wild way of looking at it, and I'm super grateful. You've seen D.C. make some changes recently, and I was curious if I could get your take on how things are different there now. Oh, I'm so proud of my hometown. It's not really my hometown, but I came out here in 1965, so I've lived here ever since, and it certainly feels like my hometown. In 2012, they enacted a full decriminalization, or you could even say a modified version of legalization. And under that, any adult in the district is legally allowed to possess two ounces of marijuana at any time, period. You can even have them in your pants pocket or in your jacket. 
Now, you can't smoke publicly, and we don't yet have dispensaries where you can buy marijuana from a legal source. The city council wants to do that, but right now the Congress hasn't allowed it to go that far. But what has happened, and by the way, uh, citizens have the right to grow their own marijuana now in the district for personal use, and you can give away up to an ounce of marijuana for personal use. The most important change I think that's happened is that our chief of police recognized that once you've legalized marijuana, the police can no longer stop a car claiming a traffic infraction, and then if they smell marijuana, use that as the basis to search the car. And the reason you can't is because there's no way from the smell of the marijuana that you can tell whether there's more or less than the two ounces you're allowed to have. The chief of police even held a press conference where she announced that change in policy. She also went further and said that if the police see the marijuana in plain view, and it looks to be more than two ounces, and she even held up a bag of something, you know, regular, something to show them what two ounces might look like, they're authorized to seize it, take it to the station, and weigh it. But if it is two ounces or less, to return it to the owner. So we are living in... With full legalization in the district right now, but even more important, we have more personal freedom from unfair search and seizures than most of the American people have. Oh, it's an enviably good situation, and I sure hope it does nothing but get better. I'm eager to lay the groundwork for everybody to come down in May like we did last May and deal with the legislative fly-in. Could you sort of give us the lowdown on how that works? Yeah, uh, what what these legislative flyings do is they make it easy for an average citizen who happens to smoke marijuana, or even if they don't smoke, but happens to support legalizing marijuana, to come into town, be briefed on the issues. We have speakers and panels and handouts to make sure that everybody's up to speed on what bills are pending and what bills we want to get introduced and which particular members of Congress need to hear from us, and then to spend a day or two at Congress visiting their elected officials. There is nothing as powerful to a member of Congress as having a constituent come in from their home district and take the time and the energy to sit down and tell them that ending marijuana prohibition should be a high priority. You know, they hear they're somewhat impacted when they're contacted by lobbyists, but frankly, no one has the leverage that a, a voting resident from their home district has. So I would urge all of our listeners, please, we'll be speculating the date soon. It'll be in May, and please plan to come out and join us for our 2016 legislative fly-in. Oh, it's going to be a delightful thing, and I, I have to echo that everybody in Congress is always impressed when we make that trip. It goes a long way that way. So I'm sorry we haven't had a little more time, but I've certainly appreciated the time we've had. I just want to emphasize that folks can see some of Keith's work at normal.org and his regular column at marijuana.com. Thanks so much, Keith. Mitch, thanks for all you do. If your listeners are not aware of it, let me underscore that Mitch is not just another advocate. He's a very effective chairman of the board of the National Normal Board of Directors. Great work for you, Mitch. (laughs) Thanks so much. Well, you have a great day, and we'll look forward to hearing from you again soon. Thank you very much, friend. Well, that was really delightful, and thanks so much to all my Burning Issues listeners. 
We'll be right back with our next chapter of Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at CarterInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Carter Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, welcome back to Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine with our next chapter of Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. This is the part of our show that encourages all our listeners to take good care of themselves and each other. It's how we support the Cannabis Crusade. Last week, believe it or not, I got a question about hugs. You know, hugs. As funny as it sounds, there's a huge research literature on interpersonal touch. Everybody has some good intuitions about touch, but what does the science really say? My reductionistic pals love to emphasize that the comfort of touch arises from the body's release of endorphins and hormones, too. I think there's a little more to it, but non-sexual caring touch definitely decreases stress. It improves immune function and it helps people endure pain, even in the laboratory. Sexual touch is great too, don't get me wrong, but we'll discuss that another time. Let's stick to non-sexual touch and how it can help in our daily lives. A new experiment just came out, and it showed that folks who get more hugs are less likely to show symptoms of colds later on. This might not sound like a big deal, 
but it worked even after they had the cold virus shot right up their noses. I know that sounds weird. Researchers at Carnegie Mellon asked folks how often they were getting hugs and then gave everybody the virus that causes the common cold. Then they literally put them all in quarantine to see who got sick and how bad their symptoms were. Those who had the most hugs had the fewest cold symptoms. Now that's the best evidence for hugs and for touch in general that I can really imagine. Touch can help encourage folks to do the things they need to do, too. It's a neat way of going about it, but there was an experiment that showed that a doctor who provides a light touch on the shoulder after explaining medications can actually get men to take their meds more regularly. The women were good about taking their meds anyway, but seemed to help the men out quite a bit. As you'd guess, this is a little bit different for different people. Some folks enjoy the occasional non-sexual touch, some folks maybe not. Running around willy-nilly touching everybody we meet probably isn't a great idea. But we can always try to hug those who we regularly hug a little more often. And a light tap on the shoulder when we're asking friends to take care of themselves, it's probably a good idea. There's another domain where touch can also be really helpful negotiations, and meetings. The U Albany faculty all know how much I hate meetings, but sometimes we just got to have them. And there's one form of touch that's socially acceptable in this domain, the handshake. Believe it or not, even the handshake has some controversy. Maybe you're spreading germs that way. So my pals at the World Health Organization, they do this elbow tap because they think it's less likely to spread germs. My students in the drug class know I'm a fan of the fist bump, even though it's a little bit retro. Some form of handshake, though, is probably worth the effort, especially at the beginning of meetings or negotiations. Now, if you're in a hospital or a healthcare setting or some other sort of handshake-free zone, please just refrain. But in other settings, handshakes can make interactions really improve. At least one experiment showed that a door-to-door request for charity went better if it started with a handshake. And then a big series of studies published through Harvard Business School showed that starting any negotiation with a handshake was great for both sides. They had MBA students in a big experiment, and they watched the ones who chose to shake before in the negotiation. And those couples tended to get more out of what they wanted in each of the negotiation situations. Now, that's not enough to prove that handshakes help because the experimenters let people choose to shake hands or not. So we can't be sure exactly if it was a handshake that was the cause. Maybe people who shake hands are just easier negotiators. So in a subsequent experiment, the researchers told half the pairs of negotiators to shake and the other half not to. Folks who were told to shake hands before the negotiation came up with a deal that was more fair to both sides, and both negotiators were also less likely to say misleading things. In a sense, the handshake decreased lying. So, if you're eager to make your life a little better, do a little experiment yourself. Think about your usual hug crew and try to hug those folks a little more often. Don't hesitate to add a touch on the shoulder to your everyday chats. 
And if you have to hit a meeting that requires negotiation, feel free to start it with handshakes all around. I hope I happen to run into all my Burning Issues listeners sooner or later. And don't be surprised if I shake your hand or give you the fist bump. Thanks for listening to our show here at CannabisRadio.com. You can also find us on iHeartRadio and iTunes. My enthusiastic thanks to producer extraordinaire Brasco and our guest, the man, the legend, Keith Strupp, founder of Normal. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.